Welcome to another edition of Points in the Paint. I'm your host, Joseph Cacharo. We've got Ryan Eli in the producer's chair, as always. couple of the score's newest additions this week in the podcast studio in William Liu and Scott Campbell. Welcome, boys. How's it going, man? Doing hey. well. You guys ready for the finals or what? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. That, uh, this four-day layoff has been killing us. Yeah, it has. But it's also allowed for some you know, work and prep work uh, before these all-important finals. You hear that? epic Mike Breen call from the finals last year and it just reminds me I was just telling you guys before we started recording uh, reading that Kevin Pelton piece on ESPN and he did the 25 teams that have come closest to a championship without actually winning one and last year Spurs rank number one uh, and and you think of that Mike Breen call and according to Pelton right before that Ray 3 or at the, at the very peak of that game for the Spurs which they were up 3-2 in the series they had a 99.3% chance of winning that game and therefore winning the championship. And it all disintegrated, of course, in that epic conclusion of that game and then an epic game seven. So now here we are a year later. Spurs slight favorites this time around. They'll have home court if it goes to a game seven, have home court advantage. Scott, we'll start with you. Do the Spurs avenge that collapse from last season? I think they do. I think um, they have a few things in terms of the beginning of the series uh, getting off to a good start working in their favor because the Spurs is a franchise. Look this up today. I came came ready for my first uh, my first go around on the podcast. Um, the Spurs have never uh, lost a game one in the finals, and LeBron has never won a game one on the road in the finals well, or on the road in the pl- in the playoffs, playoffs as a whole as a whole. That's... Yeah, which is a crazy thing to think of. Um, I was just going to say, you also told me that uh, the superstat I liked that you told me this morning was that the Spurs have never actually trailed in a finals because last year they led all the way until losing Game 7. Yeah, they've never played a game where they've trailed before in, in a finals, which is insane. Doesn't even make sense. No. Doesn't even seem like it should be uh, an actual yeah. stat, but I read it on the internet. So it's got to <laughs> so be, be right. It's got to be right. Especially if it came Definitely from Wikipedia. True. Right. Yeah, that's Wikip- That's where we get the information, right? Yeah, Wikipedia. Yeah. Where all, all my research is done. That's score policy. Yeah. Right. That's what I thought. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about the series is, uh, you know, going back and looking at some clips, like the Spurs started out really well last year, and you know, like you said, they hit that peak where it looked like they were going to win the series, and they didn't. And it's just amazing to me how close you can get, and then the series can just be completely turned on its head. So it's tough to. It's almost impossible to pick who you think is going to win the series because it's just going to be so close, and you know it's going to be so close. But I think um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. The finals format switches back it's, this year, right? Yeah, it's it's now like the other sports where it's two, two, one, one, one. So the Spurs would have games one, two, five, and seven at home, as right. opposed to the old format, which was two, three, two. Right. Which I think that works in the favor of the Spurs because I think this is a series that is almost certainly going to go to seven games. So I think that that's a big reason for me why the Spurs are going to win the series. Well, uh, I'm not as optimistic that this is going to be a seven-game series. I think it's going to be Spurs in six or even five. 
Um, bold? It's pretty bold. Um, they have more depth, definitely more depth. Um, and if you look at it, it almost feels like Miami's the older team, right? Uh, obviously, LeBron is ageless, um, but you look at Wade, for example, and, uh, you know, you never know what's... He's been coasting the whole year. He's been resting the whole year. Uh, we were talking about this before the pod, but how do we know that this is actually Wade, right? Um, is is he ab- is he able to be that, uh, you know, former All-Star, that 2006 form kind of guy, or is this just him? And he's not been resting, but this is just his peak performance. And that, if that is, then Miami's toast, because you look at it, you know, Birdman, you don't even know if he's going to play, um, you know, game one and two. He's got that uh, thigh bruise or whatever, uh, and you look at it. Uh, Ray Allen's a key piece for them. He He sucks on defense. Rashard Lewis is a key piece. He kind of sucks on both ends of the floor. <laughs> Unless the- <laughs> he, he just ca- he kind of sucks at basketball at this yeah. point. He's not good at basketball at this point. Um, Shane Battier is super old. He's already signed on to be, he's be a college ESPN basketball guy. analyst. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and this he's, is like he's already given up. <laughs> right before the finals, he signs this. It's not like he's like the deal's on the table. He couldn't have just waited till after the finals to announce this. But whatever. Um, so yeah, I think because the Spurs have so much more depth, I think it's going to be like a easy six or you know maybe a tough five game series. As much as I can, you know, be the case. I think that's an actually a really interesting point you brought up, and I I kind of tend to agree with Will. Like at the beginning of the year, I, I thought the Heat would repeat, um, and in a way, I want to be one of those guys. It's like no, I made this prediction at the beginning of the year, and I'm sticking with it. I don't care. But then I actually watch, you know, a whole season worth in the playoffs, and I start to think, look, I obviously want this to go seven games. I want another epic like last year. But sequels rarely live up to the originals as much as we want them to. You know, ask any great director about that. Um, and I and the more I watch these teams and read about them and look at the numbers, I just keep coming to the conclusion that the Spurs are, like, a vastly superior team to the Heat. You know, whether you look at the fact... Yeah, we're talking about them having home court advantage. They've won their last eight home games by an average of 21 points. Uh, the Heat, on the other hand, their last five road games are two and three. And they've lost road games to Brooklyn and Indiana, you know, far from world beaters. Another thing that uh, kind of concerns me from the Heat's perspective is their defense, as great as their offense has been against some good defenses in the playoffs, their defense has been a bit concerning. They've allowed over 105 points per 100 possessions Mm -hmm. against teams that really don't score well like Brooklyn's a middle of the pack offensive team but Indiana and Charlotte were both bottom 10 offenses and the Heat allowed over 105 points per 100 possessions against those two teams so their defense has kind of been concerning and if if those teams who struggle to score were able to do that you have to wonder what can a Spurs team that just absolutely picks bad defenses apart do to them right so I I just start thinking about all these things and, and like we were mentioning with Wade you know, is he actually coasting, or is it just that this is what he is now, and you can only get a really great game from him once every five to ten? You add all those things up. I, as much as I want this to go seven, and as much as hey, if the Heat win, I'm going to be like, hey, I called it at the beginning of the year, right? Uh, like nine nine point nine percent of the world did. <laughs> um, I really could see the Spurs winning this in less than seven games. You know, not a sweep, maybe not five, but certainly in six. I can see them winning it in Miami. Uh, and really, to me, the one thing that would save Miami, and it, it's not that far-fetched, would be they've got the best player in the world. And it's something I wrote about last week, too. It's The playoffs have reminded us, in addition to how bad the East is, they also have reminded us how hard it is to beat a LeBron James-led team once, let alone four out of seven times over a two-week span. So I, I'd go with the Spurs, but the Heat always have that redeeming quality in the end of having the best player in the world on the floor for them. Right. What I think is going to be the most interesting is 
the Heat, who have had, I think it's something like 113 points per 100 possessions they've scored in these playoffs. Like, something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah, against right? good defenses. Yeah, against mm-hmm. good de- defenses. Um, and they tend to go a little smaller. They're going to go, I mean, we saw this from the Spurs in the last series. Their best defensive lineup is one that has Duncan and Splitter in it. They're not going to be able to do that against the Spurs, or against the Heat, which they also were fine not doing that against OKC. But that's going to be interesting. That'll be the one telling thing. If the Heat can succeed by, you know, using their high-powered offense um, of small ball against, you know, a Spurs defense that's, you know, not their best, that'll be the way, like, if that if the Heat can take advantage of that, I think that'll be a way that the Heat can sort of counteract, um, you know, their bad defense and, and the Spurs, you know, good offense. But... If that doesn't work, you know, you're going to see a, a probably a five yeah, or six game series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that'll be, to me, that's sort of the tipping point for the Heat. If they can get away with that, then that's, you know, they're going to be able to push the series. But if not, then they're in real trouble. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, what I found interesting was throughout the playoffs, Miami, um, this is all by offense slash defensive rating. Uh, Miami has the best offense and San Antonio has the best defense of, wow. you know, uh, of like the last eight teams that were still qualified, um, and that's really weird because Miami's played some really impressive defensive teams. You know, Indiana was the best defense all season long, and Charlotte's really good. Brooklyn, you know, they were okay, I think. Um, and San Antonio, they had the best defense, and they played some really really tough teams. The Mavericks, you know, they they suck on defense, but they're great on offense, yeah. and they push them to seven. They played uh, Portland. Portland's great on offense, and then they played you know Durant, right? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a, 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 an interesting clash of the best offense versus the best defense. Yeah, uh, and that and that is a really interesting point. How basically it's it's the clash of the great offense who's picked apart great defenses so far mm-hmm. this playoffs, and then the great defense who's stopped great offenses. Like the Spurs have played uh, the three opponents they've played were all top seven in offensive rating yeah. this year, and the Spurs shut them down. Yeah, as yeah. well as you can. Yeah, and so obviously they haven't really faced a uh, a matchup nightmare like LeBron. I guess Durant is, but um, as long as you can limit Durant to jump shots, he's he's somewhat manageable. Whereas LeBron, I mean, you've seen in all playoffs, uh, he's not settling for jump shots. He's going straight to the rim and stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if San Antonio can match up with him. Last year they used Dia Boris Dia, who's uh, everybody's favorite player. Um, to to you know try to keep LeBron out of the paint, but we'll see if that works again this year. I think LeBron might be able to you know solve that. And if, and if they do play Dia, it would have to be alongside Duncan. And if if LeBron gets past Dia and Duncan's out the three point line because he has a guard Bosch who can now shoot threes, yeah. then LeBron can have a field day at the rim. Yeah, I think another interesting thing too is that last year, if you remember, the Spurs dare, they basically dared LeBron and and Wade to an extent to be jump shooters, and they said, okay, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us shooting the ball. And the thing is, what people always forget, seem to forget, is that LeBron James is a pretty damn good jump shooter nowadays. Like, this guy's a 40% three-point shooter. So, yeah, I get this strategy from the Spurs, and I assume they'll employ it again because you'd rather have him, you know, jacking jumpers than destroying you in the paint. But there is the possibility that they can limit LeBron to, you know, long twos and threes, and he can still beat them just because of the way he's evolved as a player. Uh, So I think that's an interesting matchup. What do you guys think of... Who the Heat might start? They've been starting Rashard Lewis uh, with LeBron and Bosch, obviously in the front court. I checked earlier today at the uh, two times they played in the regular season against the Spurs. They started Battier both times, but that was obviously earlier in the year. So, what do you guys think? You think they go Lewis? You think they go Battier? Do you think they start someone else that we haven't even considered? Or I think uh, 
based on what we've seen from them, they tend to go, and this is pretty much since they had, they had the big three, uh, because they've never really had a center, they've sort of substituted out that four spot to different guys. But it's usually in a rhythm. Like, it's usually in, you know, like, it'll be Battier for whatever, stretch of 20 games, and then they'll switch it out. And I just think um, it's definitely they're going to go small. And I just think... For continuity's sake, it's going to be Richard Lewis. He may not play the bulk of the minutes. You may mm-hmm. see Battier again just because he seems to be one of those guys that you plug in and he comes up with big plays in the playoffs. Um, but I think just for continuity's sake, you're going to see Richard Lewis. And, you know, he's made shots in sort of like weird, like he's been one of those guys who you won't see anything from for three games and then all of a sudden he hits a big shot at an end of the game. And like, um, was it game five in the Pacers yeah, series? Where he hit that, yeah, he hit the three-point shot at the end and like, you know, almost brought them back. Um, so I'm going to go with Richard Lewis. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Richard Lewis is probably the most likely guy. If not him, then Badier. Um and I agree with Scott. Like he, he's probably not going to play very long in the starting lineup. I think their best bet, if he's if he's healthy, is probably Birdman. Um, I, I really like Birdman's like mobility on defense and the fact that he can crash the boards. Which basically, aside from Birdman, no one on this on either team can do it. They're basically the two worst offensive rebounding teams. And not that they don't try, or sorry, not that they, they're not good at it. They just don't try. They don't care about it. Right? Um, Birdman gives uh, Miami some. Uh, you know, presence on the offensive glass. And also, he's good at defending. So, you know, he's mobile. He can cover Dia. He can kind of at least, you know, contend with him in the in, in the post. And he can also close out on him at the three-point line. So that's probably their best bet. Now, obviously, we don't know if he's going to be healthy or not because he's kind of been out for two weeks with the Brewers. But that could just be Miami, you know, gamesmanship, yeah. you know, trying to trick the Spurs into thinking, hey, look, Serge Ibaka is me up for the playoffs. Yeah. Kidding, he's yeah. not. Um, um, although I, I don't like having Spolstra in any sort of sentence with Scott Brooks, right? Because Eric Spolstra yeah, yeah, is a no. <laughs> no, much better coach. Much better coach. <laughs> so I don't like any. No, uh, kidding. But uh, yeah, and the Bosch Duncan matchup to me is fascinating because, uh, like you guys both mentioned, Duncan having to potentially be out at the three point line guarding mm-hmm. Bosch is a huge win. Uh, for the Heat, and then on the other side, you know, last year I remember in Game Six and Seven when Duncan had some big games. Everyone just assumed he was torching Chris Bosh. But then if you go back and actually watch those two games, particularly Game Seven, there was at least five or six times where Bosh did such a good job denying post entry passes to Duncan. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and think about how close those games were, and it's like, well, the Spurs could have gotten two or three more touches to Duncan in the post. What could, what kind of difference could that have made? And the difference was literally that Chris Bosh was playing so well against him off the ball, you know, when people maybe aren't watching and mm-hmm. denying those post-entry passes. That's a storyline in itself, right? How Bosh can defend Duncan. And yeah, Duncan might get his 20 and 10, but it's the little things. It's how many times can Bosh keep him from getting the ball, right? And mm-hmm. how many times can he actually stop him in the paint? So I think... Obviously, you know, you're going to think the, heat, the Spurs have the advantage because no one, even now, people still don't think of Bosch as a great defender, even though he has become one. But I think that that might actually be an advantage for the Heat if on one side Bosch can pull Duncan out to the three-point mm-hmm. line and then on the other end he can also do, you know, even an average job against him in the paint. That's a, that's a win for Miami. Yeah, I like that matchup as sort of a, you know, like, something to watch that could actually shift the series because, you know, everyone's talking about how big of a win that is for the Spurs, having Duncan be able to just uh, take Bosch in the paint. But his the way he's developed his three-point shot almost seems like a response to the way that 
um, they played last year against the Spurs. It was almost like, hey, here's a thing that if I can learn to do better, this could change a possible matchup here. So I think, like, you know, if he hits two more three-point shots mm-hmm. a game and he, you know, stops dunking on two more possessions, like, that is almost makes that matchup, that changes that matchup drastically, uh, which, again, could lead to, like, that's, you know, at least another win for the Heat in the right. series, right? So these little things can definitely build up and translate into something huge for the Heat. Yeah. Okay, so I did a bit of research. Um, <laughs> really? I, I, yeah. Will's got a yeah. crack got research staff yes. in the room with yeah. him. Um, <laughs> Giant notebook. Okay, yeah, I think this is going to be the pivotal matchup of the series. Um, last year in the finals, Duncan averaged 18.9 points, 12.1 uh, rebounds, and on 49% shooting from the field. That's amazing. Whereas Bosch averaged uh, 12 points, 9 rebounds, and 46% shooting. So uh, um, definitely Duncan, at least uh, in the box score, got the upper hand on Bosch. But like you said, Bosch did do some, you know, uh, a good job of defending him. They'll be undoubtedly matched up on each other all the time. Uh, and it, during the regular season, both Duncan and Bosch were awesome. Weirdly enough, they were both uh, 18 for 26 during their two um, wow. regular season matchups. Um, but the way they scored was completely different. Duncan was, um, you know, scored pick and roll mostly and a little couple of, like, you know, post-ups. Um, whereas Bosch was almost exclusively pick and pop. Um, and when I went back and looked at the game tape, it looked very strange because it seemed like both Miami and San Antonio were concertedly not trying to run complicated plays. As yeah, like, leave know. that for the finals. Exactly, yeah. right? So you can't, you don't necessarily know what to buy into that, but the way that San Antonio guarded Bosch was that they would have Duncan sag back and guard you know, against the drive and just concede a mid-range jumper to Bosch. And obviously, Bosch did a great job. He shot 18 for 26. Um, if he can keep that up, that'd be great, right? Um, and hopefully, he can do that from the three-point line, which would be even more deadly. Um, because it looks like San Antonio is just content with giving Bosch, you know, letting Bosch beat them, right? Whereas with Duncan, the reason the Duncan was so successful is because they would pick and roll with Duncan um, on the strong side with just him and the ball handler, and they would line up three shooters on the opposite side. So when Miami they have a really aggressive trapping defense especially on pick and rolls when they would trap them they would get the big man to come out up top right which is opposite of what yeah. the Spurs did to the uh, the Heat um, as soon as Duncan got the ball he's basically wide open you know with the open lane to the rim and if they if Miami helps then he has the option of kicking out to a three point shooter and Aside from, I don't know, Birdman or any other big, like Duncan's, even if they do help, like Duncan's too big. He can finish over a Shane Battier. Well, except for that one key moment. He <laughs> <laughs> um, can finish over basically any other uh, wing player, um, not, not LeBron, um, on the Heat. So that's why Duncan was so successful. So um, it's going to be interesting to see which of the two actually, um, you know, topples the other because that's a sign of their you know, the offense working for each team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think some great points there too, Will. Uh, we mentioned Bosch. One thing I kind of want to get both your takes on is the way I'd see this series playing out, if the Heat were to win, I think we'd all be in agreement. Well, it would be LeBron, right? Finals MVP, right. You know, the way Wade is nowadays. And then, But on the Spurs side, you can kind of think of it as like, well, it could be Duncan, could be Parker, could be Leonard if he has man who is still capable. Right? Like, there's at least four guys Danny Green. on the Spurs. That, <laughs> Danny Green, if Danny Green almost Green. was the finals. Heck, we're up to yeah. six guys yeah. already that realistically, exactly. like, if they get hot, mm-hmm. are in. Whereas with the Heat, you know, we're only thinking LeBron. So my question to you guys would be if the Heat win this series, do you think it's out of the realm of possibility that Chris Bosh could emerge as a potential finals MVP with his game-breaking ability as a stretch, you know, four or five, I guess, as a three-point shooter, what he can do on the defensive end? Mm -hmm. Do you think that's crazy to think about, that Chris Bosh might be a finals MVP candidate? 
Like, it's a possibility, but to me, it just seems like I can't imagine a scenario in which LeBron James isn't integral to them winning games. Like, right. you could have Bosch be sort of an X factor, but at the heart of it, you know, LeBron's going to have 28 and 8 basically yeah. every single game. So it's, and it's just going to be so hard to be like, yeah, you're right. Chris Bosch was definitely the most important player in yeah. the series. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he could definitely be a guy that people who follow the game really respect and go, like, this He swung is the series. Totally, yeah. yeah. But I just can't imagine, you know, if LeBron has a bad series, just every single game he doesn't play well, there's, like, how They're do, not they, winning, how do yeah. they win a game, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, or maybe they win a game, but how do they win the series? So It could be like that 2007 uh, Spurs team when Tony Parker got finals MVP, even though everyone knew that Duncan was the best player. Yeah. It could, like... But yeah, I agree. Like, I don't really envision a scenario where LeBron doesn't win MVP. Yeah. Um, if the Heat win. Well, even uh, I want to say 2010. I thought Pau Gasol yeah. was the Finals MVP that year, mm-hmm. and Kobe got it. Uh, even though he six had to of sh- twenty four, yeah, that's, six of twenty four uh, in the deciding game, and exactly. Still got it. So yeah, that's very good points. Way to crush any. Uh, <laughs> Hopes I had there for Chris Bosch stealing a finals MVP award. Picture you sitting on your couch in your Raptors Chris Bosch jersey. Come on, Bosch. Come on. Oh, finals MVP. It's one of the few things the Raptors would have on their resume. We once had a future. We'll probably put a banner up for that, too. Yeah. Yeah. One time Raptor Chris Bosch. Those banners are uh, starting to take up some space. Oh, yeah. Anything to cover the Bon Jovi banner. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess the last thing we can touch on here in the finals, Andrew Unterberger was one of our freelancers. Uh, just posted something for our site and for the app. Anyone listening should go check it out. And it's basically on how this series is maybe the first finals in a long time, or maybe that he can remember at all, where it seems like no, no one really has anything to lose. Not in this, obviously, you know, not that he's saying they don't have anything to lose generally, because yeah, they're in the finals. Of course, they have something to lose, but in the sense that. You know, until LeBron won a title, it was, you know, LeBron's a cho- People foolishly called him a choke artist or mm-hmm. saying that he's not capable of really being the guy. And then even last year, the people were still saying, well, he's going to win multiple, not just one. Well, he's got his multiple championships now. Bosch and Wade have multiple championships. Spolstra is, is a proven coach. We're mm-hmm. beyond that. The Spurs literally have nothing left to prove. So he basically wrote a post about how this is the first finals. You can just kind of sit back, watch, not have to worry about all that legacy crap and who's doing what to build their legacies. So to you guys, is there anything in these finals that you think, whether it's LeBron, you know, depending on what you guys think of him, where if he does this or if Duncan can maybe win another one where it puts him, does any of that matter to you in terms of legacies? Do you see any of it changing based on this series? The one thing that I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there were a couple things I was thinking about um, with the Spurs. Do you know off the top of your head how many championships they've won with Duncan? How many does Duncan have? Four. 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 Okay. So... Uh, I'll move to my next point. Okay. So the one thing that's interesting to me is the fact that all those Heat guys have an opt-out at the end of the year. And I think just narratively, at the very least narratively, if they lose, that's the perfect, like, the second that series ends, it's going to be LeBron leaving, it's Chris Bosh leaving. Wayne Wade's not going to leave, but... That's going to be so much fun as an NBA news editor to write all those rumors. Oh, my God. About six updates a day. Every single day. Um, But to me, like, that's your biggest, like, it's sort of lurking in the background. Like, uh, I'm sure it'll get brought up during maybe at least one telecast, but it's something that to keep an eye on has nothing to do with basketball Mm -hmm. that I just think. If the Heat win, uh, it'll probably silence that. Like, I don't think anyone's, like... You know, aside from your, you know, I'm sure Chris Broussard will probably bring it up. Um, <laughs> and people in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everyone in Cleveland. Dan Gilbert's going to be so happy. Uh, but I think that 
I do honestly think that if they lose, there's something to maybe LeBron leaving or Chris Bosh leaving even. Just because, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that they're always going to be limited in terms of who they can add to the roster. Um, and I think sort of, especially with the way Wade's playing, like there's a definitive timeline for their success, which extends maybe a year or two from now. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, if the Heat lose, it could they could end up you know losing one of those guys. Uh, selfishly, I want the uh, I want to see the Heat win just because uh, I missed out on the Jordan years, and it'd be great to see you know say I watched the entirety of LeBron's career, and then to have. You know, three peat. You know, on his resume, because and three peat and four consecutive trips to the finals. Um, that'd be great. In, but I mean, yeah, I mean, like it'd be great to see the Spurs win again. It'd be very, it'd be very bittersweet for me because then you see Duncan and Manu and Parker, and for a lot of people, that's their that's the generation of their basketball you know fandom leaving at once. It, it kind of makes you feel old. Um, I kind of came in in the middle of it, but. It, it would be really, it would be really nice for them to, you know, to leave with um, a title. But if they do leave, then you can. How could you imagine uh, the Spurs without Duncan, maybe Ginobili, and then maybe Pop as well? That'd be very strange, yeah. right? And so, for selfish reasons, I want the Heat to win, just so I can say I saw the Jordan of my generation, or I guess I saw LeBron, yeah. right? And he did this, and also it could keep the Spurs alive for a bit longer. I like that. It's like a mercy. It's like out of mercy you want the Spurs to lose so that they stay around. Exactly. So that they don't, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to see Pop go. Like, it, Well, and that's what I was thinking when Scott was talking about how, you know, the the shadow of whether the Heat are going to keep the band together kind of lurking in the background of the finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing, and Will just touched on it, is, well, if the Spurs win, the thing that's lurking in the shadows is one of the greatest players, you know, definitely one of the greatest big men of all time might hang him up. One of the two or three greatest coaches in league history might hang him up if the Spurs win. So, mm-hmm. definitely a couple of storylines to kind of keep an eye on there as the finals unfold. That would be crazy. Just if you think about, like, let's say the Spurs win, and then you know Duncan and Pop retire together, and then the Heat break up. Like, it that it could be such a like seminal moment yeah. for the, this era of basketball for us. Yeah, Even though the Heat cool. era is obviously much shorter, um, you know, it's, it's still like this. These two basketball like. You know, heavyweights have yeah. dominated the last few years of sport. So this could potentially be like a very, a, like a, the pinnacle of this sort of. I think either way, it will be the pinnacle of this sort of matchup because I just don't see, you know, even after this, like even if no one retires, like it's going to be tough for the Spurs to keep this up, and it's going to be tough for the Heat to keep this up. Yeah. Quite honestly, so um, from that perspective, it's that's very exciting. I think. I always wonder about you know everyone says like you know this. Regardless what sport, everyone thinks athletes should go out on top, right? Like, no one wants to see the Jordans, the LeBrons, the Gretzkys, the Tom Brady's and Peyton Manny's now. Like, no one wants to see those guys age. No one wants to watch those guys at anything but their peak level or something close to it, right? You want them to retire when they're on top, preferably after winning a championship or something like that. And I think that's the ideal world. But sometimes I think about, like, how hard is that actually? Like, for example... If the Spurs win the title this year, right, mm-hmm. the easy thing would be like, well, Pop and Duncan should go out on top. And, it, and in a way, I feel like, yeah, that's the best thing and that's easy. But how easy is that really to walk away when, say, like, if you're the Spurs, you've been churning out, like, there's no reason to, ex- other than the age, there's no reason to expect they can't do it again next year, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, on one hand, I see it as they should win and then go out on top. But on the other hand, it's like, well, if they leave. They might be giving up a chance at another championship. Like, what's to stop this team from coming? They haven't stopped yet. And then on the other, on the flip side, obviously, then you risk coming back and then losing, and then maybe you have, they have a bad season. Maybe next year is finally the year that they start to show their age, and now you're losing, going out, quote-unquote, not on top. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Because I've always thought 
they should go out on top. Then I really think about it, and I'm like, well, how easy is that really knowing that you could still go out on top maybe next year again? I always wonder how important that is to athletes because it's something that, like, talking heads talk about nonstop. But, like, is it more important just to keep playing just because you can keep playing? Or is it more important to be like, all right, like, this is a better story? I feel like it's probably, like, it would be nice to go out on top, but if you can keep playing, I'm sure these guys will keep playing. Yeah. And especially that the way the Spurs have been, like, year after year, they've sort of, like, limited Duncan's minutes, and Ginobili's been up and down, and they've just plugged in whoever else, and they've stepped up. Like, you know, Patty Mills is a big part of this team. Patty Mills. Yeah. You know, Boris Diaw, who the Bobcats paid to not play for their team. Like, so there's nothing really for them to think... Like, if I'm them, I'm not thinking, oh, this is it. Because, like, you know, even if Duncan has to play, you know, five or ten less minutes next year, they'll just find someone yeah, else to pick up find those a way. minutes. Yeah, they'll find a way. So, I mean, for them, I think, I'm not sure they're thinking that way. Although, if they do win the title, there's always the chance that there's that sense of just, like, I- I've accomplished everything I can accomplish. Yeah. Again, for selfish reasons, like, Steve Nash is my favorite player. It's been painful watching him play for the Lakers the last couple of years and then watching this whole documentary play. with Grantland. Yeah. Exactly. Um, play, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah, you know, like it's really painful for the fan to like watch these former great players slowly die out. But I guess with Duncan, he's like a machine, right? So like they can just download the latest beta update for him and then he'll play five minutes less per, per game per season until he's like 45 and he's playing five minutes a game. Yeah. You know, so. I I will say, though, if there's one team, you know, one player, one coach who would be the guy to finally do this, or like what we've always envisioned of going out on top, it would be the Spurs, right? Like going against conventional, these would be the guys that would say, no, we're completely content. We just won. Peace. And if, if, like, think about it. If Duncan and Pop leave, you're never seeing them again. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, exactly. They're going to disappear. Yeah, they're not showing up on TNT broadcast. Popovich isn't going to be, you know. Popovich already hates being on TV. Yeah, Popovich is not going to be in any coaching rumors going forward other than maybe some by Chris Broussard. Like, there's. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Chris Broussard. This would literally be the last time we see those guys, you know, um, until they're like floating heads somewhere like Ted Williams style in yeah. baseball but um, yeah I know it's uh, it's definitely interesting and, and just to go back on the heat point I know like whether they would leave and disband I feel like getting through the east again no matter what happens in these finals they'll stay together only because the way I see it is you look at the east other than maybe Chicago landing a love or a Carmelo and getting Rose back healthy which is no guarantee other than that really like, we're talking the next one to two years. We're not trying to project too far down the road, you know, with drafts and all that. But in the next one to two years, who can realistically beat Miami or just beat a LeBron-led team four out of seven times out of the East in the next one to two years? Other than maybe Chicago, if everything breaks right for them. I honestly don't see. Nobody. Like, Indiana, this might have been their best shot, unless. Right? Unless Indiana lucks into something, like some sort of trade where they land somebody that's... Yeah. You know, like, or they or barring a, a horrible injury exactly. or someone that plays for the Heat, there's nobody that's going to come anywhere close. And so the reason I think they stay together, or at least they should, is because, okay, you know what? The Western Conference probably can throw superior teams at you for the next however many years, like they probably are this year. But if you're Miami, the way you have to think of it is, all we have to do is get through the East, year in and year out, which we're more than capable of. And once we get past that, mm-hmm. regardless of who we play in the finals... We're four wins away from a championship with LeBron James on our side. 
You never know. So why not just take those chances? If we're going to get through the East the next year or two if we stay healthy, and then you know what? We'll take our chances in a championship series with LeBron goddamn James on our side, like and four wins away. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if they are thinking like that, but I think they should. And I think the ease in which they got through the East playoffs this year, when they weren't at their best, should yeah. be all the evidence they need that they should stay together. Yeah. Oh, conventional wisdom would say they should stay together, yeah. but you know. So I you're think... saying they're just not that wise? <laughs> well, you never know. You know, like there are so many other like factors yeah. that you just you you might not know, and also like you never know what kind of Dwayne Wade you're going to get. Yeah, very like, true. Like if you get a year where Dwayne Wade just doesn't play, which is not. You know, hopefully it doesn't happen for him, but like that's not—it's not possible. Like, what does that team look like? You know, how what? do they replace him? You know, honest to God, I think, I think a team <laughs> with LeBron and Bosh at their current levels, yeah, without Wade, I still think they can win the East. Yeah, well, if you Probably, look at the yeah. way the East was this year, was like they right? walked to the final, the conference finals, and even then, you weren't really like. Like, the Pacers won game one, but you were still like, eh, they're, they're not yeah. going to win the series. So. Yeah, and think about it. If you didn't have Wade on the roster, obviously Miami's never going to get rid of Wade. It's yeah. just not possible. Right. But uh, if you if you got rid of Wade, he's like, what, a $20 million cap yeah. hit? You can get so many other players that could, you know, fill in. Yeah. And I think you could rebuild the entire bench. You can give, you know, LeBron and Bosh, you know, pieces to work with. But again, yeah, he's never yeah. going to leave, so... Yeah, I agree. This is like um, this is like when the Detroit Pistons kept making it to the like Eastern Conference six Finals. Six straight Conference Finals. It'll, it'll be like that for the Heat if, if yeah. LeBron stays. And when you factor that in, and the fact that he's in Miami, his family's in Miami, I believe. Um, you know, he's it's great weather. You know, it's a stable ownership. LeBron seems to really like uh, Mickey Pat Harrison, Riley, Pat Riley, the Godfather. Exactly. That's true. How do you leave Pat Riley? You yeah, don't. exactly. So no, no one does. So, yeah, I think You're it's a moot point. He probably stays. Yeah. Um, the only way you leave. Pat Riley is in a body bag yeah. in a oh, trunk. Sure. That's probably going too far. Yeah, um, but we'll he is just, the Godfather. We'll just cut that out. It'll yeah. be fine. No, we won't. <laughs> um, but yeah, another thing I guess too with the Heat it, that'll be interesting if they do stay together over the years is seeing what kind of toll playing deep into June has on you every single year, right? Because you think about it now: four straight years of making the finals—that's an extra two months of basketball. Every single year compared to teams that don't make the playoffs, it's an extra mm-hmm. however many weeks of basketball compared to teams who make the playoffs and just don't make it deep. That adds up over time. And as much as LeBron has been like insanely durable throughout his career, you do have to wonder, like, he's still only human as much as we don't want to admit that, right? Mm-hmm. Same with Bosch, whoever else is on the Heat, Wade's knees. So th- that, I think, is an interesting thing to follow. As, yeah. as much as they are better than the rest of the East, at some point, you figure all this extra basketball is going to take its toll. But you yeah. can see it taking yeah. its toll on Wade because he's been in the playoffs just about every year of his yeah. career, if not every year of his career. Yeah. Um, and Le- another thing to think about with LeBron is he came out of high school, so he's got that extra those extra miles on his his legs. It's not like he went to college and played the cushy yeah. college schedule. Like he's been in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Not that I would ever expect him to wear down. Obviously, he will eventually, yeah, yeah. but um, that's another thing to consider. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, what if he does the Jordan thing and retires and plays a different sport? Can you imagine that? Johnny football, football in Cleveland. Play, yeah, joining uh, Manziel in the Browns. Like two years. Yeah. Uh, no. I, LeBron, I hope not. <laughs> I, I will say LeBron taking like a one to two year hiatus is probably the rest of the Eastern Conference's only chance of yeah. getting to the finals <laughs> in the next two years. And it really would be like the Jordan years. Someone's going to be the Houston Rockets. The Bulls won yeah. three straight, right? And then they won three straight when Jordan came back. So Jordan basically gave the rest of the NBA a two year or a one year window yeah. to win a championship. And if they didn't 
right? Like teams like the Utah Jazz of that generation, the Knicks, the Pacers, Mm -hmm. those teams, it was like, well, if we don't win in the year or two that Mike's not here, we're never winning. So this is our year. Maybe LeBron will give them that chance. none of those teams are in the East this time. Like, if they left, there's, like, like, honestly, who is the second best team in the East? We were were just talking about hanging another rafter in the ACC, guys. You ready for Collard, DeMar DeRozan, (laughs) Amir Johnson. The 46-win Eastern Conference champions Uh, next year. Yeah, the rest of the league is hoping LeBron is a, a gambling problem. Yeah, honestly, that's what happened with Jordan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, Jesus. That we're getting dark now. We yeah. start thinking about uh, Jordan's years there in retirement. Uh, last thing before we get to official predictions that we didn't actually touch on: Tony Parker. You guys concerned about his status, or you think this is just typical Spurs? They like, were cautious with him. They still like this is the other insane thing. They still found a way to win a, an elimination game on the road in one of the most hostile environments in the NBA without Tony Parker for the second half and overtime. Playing a small lineup. So are is. you guys actually concerned about his availability or no? No. Like, I'm sure... I'm not... I wouldn't be surprised if it's a legitimate injury, but I'm not... I'm not worried about the Spurs if Tony Parker has to play, you know, 20 minutes in the first two games. Yeah. I'm not that worried either, but uh, it's the ripple effect, right? Without Tony Parker... Uh, Patty Mills becomes a point guard, and he's not really that much. He's not a very good facilitator, um, and I think the Spurs realized that against in Game Six against the Thunder, and they just put Mono Ginobili as the point guard. And last year's Mono Ginobili in the finals was really hit or miss. It was either like fifteen points and like really efficient shooting, or it was like six turnovers and like two points. Yeah. Or their last possession in Game Seven. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's that, those yeah. sighs. Yeah. Like so let, let's really hope Tony yeah. Parker's back. Yeah. yeah. Like, no faith in Kojo? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Like Canadian product. I mean, the way the Spurs churn out developed players, you know, who's to say that Tony Parker gets is hurt and then Corey Joseph just wins finals MVP? Oh, Boris, mean, Boris Dia could be the point guard. Yeah, yeah. honestly. point guard coming into the point? league. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Can Aaron Baines play point? Like, Probably. at, at this point, know. nothing surprises me yeah. with uh, Pop's development team. Splitter for MVP. Before we go, Scott. Uh, Very quick prediction: team in this many games and finals MVP. Uh, Spurs in seven. Uh, Tony Parker. Finals I like it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Spurs in six. I'll be a little bit uh, conservative, but it's either six or five. And Tim Duncan gets it. I'm gonna say Spurs in six, winning it in Miami. And I kind of want to go off the board and be like Kawhi Leonard oh, for MVP, awesome. but I'm going to say Tim Duncan. I'm uh, not going to go off the board. I'm just going to put it out there so that if Kawhi Leonard does win it, I said I, oh, I almost picked that. Uh, all right, it's a great, uh, it's a great pre-finals chat, boys. Well, I enjoyed it. Welcome to the team. Yeah, thanks, man. This, right. this is official now. Now yeah. that we're on the pod. Yeah, you guys weren't actually. Uh, I don't know if you guys are still on your. Uh, how long you guys have been here now? If you're still on your like probation, but it ends when you join the podcast. So oh, now they got a jump start on yeah. that. They can finally start paying me now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Scott Campbell and William Lou for joining us. Thanks as always to Ryan Eli in the producer's chair. I'm your host, Joseph Cacharo. Thanks for listening to Points in the Paint. Hey, if you haven't already, do the right thing. Subscribe to Points in the Paint on iTunes. And be sure to follow Joe on Twitter, at Joseph Cacharo.